Hello, everybody. I'm Ed Robinson, and you're listening to the best of The Robinson Show. Hope you enjoy. Anyone that knows me well know that I'm an advocate for women's sports, and certainly this lady that I'm interviewing is someone that has been has had a stellar career thus far in basketball. She was an All-American at LSU, and now she's transformed that into a solid WNBA career as well as playing overseas. And we're going to talk to a little, her a little bit about her life and her time in college as well as her current professional career and her nonprofit organization. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Tamika Johnson. Tamika, welcome to The Robinson Show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, in this journey we go through called life, tell the listening audience out there, where did the journey all begin? Oh, the journey for me began in um, New Orleans and then uh, the Kenner area, uh, Louisiana. And from there, it just uh, grew and enhanced to... Baton Rouge, and then Washington, D.C., from there, uh, overseas to different countries and other states to be able to play my uh, career for, uh, professionally. So, But it all started in the Ken area. Now, how did you develop a love for the sport of basketball? Was it something through your parents, or was this something through maybe your siblings, or was it just kind of like challenging the boys in the neighborhood? How did your love of basketball grow in you at an early age? Uh, it, it came from both my parents. Both my parents played. Um, I have an uncle that played. My family was very, you know, athletic in that sort. So it came from everything that you mentioned. Um, I'm the oldest, so I won't say it came from my siblings, but my uncles and my aunts, they pushed me to to the T. Um, but both, yes, my mom and my dad played. I tell everybody that I believe I came out of my mother dribbling the basketball. <laughs> oh, wow. So there was definitely in the genes right there. Absolutely. My next question is, I want to ask you is, what was the game or what was the defining moment that you knew, like, I've got something, I can do this, I can make this out of a career. I know that I can not only put food on the table, but it was something that you could see, see this going to new heights. You know, my answer to this is probably going to be different than what most people would think. Um, For me, I didn't know. And not that I wasn't confident in myself. I was always a one step at a time type person. And so I just believed that if I worked hard, my hard work would carry me wherever I needed to be. Uh, I actually enjoyed track, and I loved running and being on a track and field. And then I realized it was too hot <laughs> at home, so I chose the indoor sport. But I knew that I loved it. I knew that I, I enjoyed playing it. I knew that I was very competitive, so I always loved the challenge. Uh, but my focus was always on what I was doing at that moment, and I just knew that it would prepare me for whatever was to come. You had a stellar career in high school, and now the journey brought you to Baton Rouge, Louisiana at a Louisiana State University, LSU. Now, I want to talk a little bit about going through your bio. You played half of your collegiate career. You could correct me if I'm wrong. Was this with uh, the late Sue Gunter? Absolutely. Okay, talk a little bit about your time with Coach Gunter, and what were some of the things that you learned from her that transferred into your life and current career? Wow, thank you for that. Um, Coach Gunner is amazing. And I'm not just saying that or being biased because I played for her and got a chance to spend some time with her. I'm speaking of her as a woman before I speak about her as a coach. When it came to the game of basketball, of course, she loved the game, but it was more of who we were as women, how we handled ourselves, our character as an individual, and who we grew to become from the things that she instilled in us. And that right there, I've been able to carry with me throughout life. Dream big, work hard was definitely her motto, but uh, one of the things that 
she told me, the last thing that she told me was, whenever you feel as though you've given everything that you've given and you don't think that you can go anymore, give a little bit more. And so at first, when she first said it, I wasn't sure. I was like, oh, did I just hear you right? But I understood it. It's basically persevering and pressing through. And I've carried that uh, throughout my tenure. Uh, but who she was as a as a person was absolutely phenomenal. There were some moments in her basketball career that got shunned because of some other things uh, that took place in the world uh, as far as her being a coach for the USA basketball team and stuff like that. But her knowledge for the game was uh, exceptional. And her com- her competitiveness uh, was phenomenal as well. So I was thankful to be able to play for someone like that. And it's like, like people say the wisdom of old, but somebody that paved the way was doing things before Title IX and stuff like that. So uh, I was thankful, and I, I don't take it for granted at all. The first part of your collegiate career, you were coached by Sue Gunter, and then the latter part of your collegiate career, you were coached by Pokey Chapman. If you would like to, can you kind of briefly elaborate on kind of like uh, what Coach Chapman's approach was? Because it seemed like she was always very fiery on the court and very edgy. So if, if you would like to kind of comment on what was your time like with Coach Chapman. Uh, it was no different. Uh, Coach Chapman was also the, one of the assistant coaches when uh, Coach Gunner was there. So it was like a carryover of her, just a younger version. The intensity and the tenacious attitude was to pretty much light a fire a fire up underneath the players. And uh, she was younger, had a little bit more energy and uh, spunk to her and stuff like that. But uh, it was not very much of a difference, to be honest, because uh, she was up underneath Coach Gunner for so long that, you know, pretty much a lot of stuff was similar. But, of course, you have to come from up underneath the wing and try and put your own stamp on things. But a lot of the philosophies were very similar, and uh, we got better every day. It wasn't too much of an adjustment, like you said before, just with going with the, with the changing of the guard because Coach Chadman learned well under uh, Coach Gunter. Your years at LSU were outstanding. I'm looking at some of your statistics right here. Your freshman year, you averaged over 11 points per game. And then your sophomore year, you averaged over 10 points per game. Your junior year, you went almost, you averaged over 12 points per game. And then your senior year, you averaged just over 10 points per game. So certainly you had a, a stellar career at LSU and you played alongside Simone Augustus. Tell me a little bit briefly about your, your teammate with Simone because I know she was always on point in terms of her game. It was great. It was a great opportunity. It was a great um, time at LSU. Simone and I was able to do some tremendous things together on the court. I tell everybody, like, she's, like, a main reason for half of my assists, me holding the assist record at LSU and in the SEC. Um, but it was great to be able to have somebody that had a knack for the ball, that enjoyed playing the game, that uh, loved the game, and just knew how to score. It was uh, pretty much effortless, but she worked really hard at her craft and what it was that she wanted to obtain and accomplish. Um, we were able to accomplish many great things together, and it was a joy playing with her and being her teammate. And then we got the uh, the big girl. We got Sylvia Files to come along with us. So the three of us was able to enjoy each other, grow with one another, and have some fun uh, playing basketball at LSU together. Yeah, and I was going to mention uh, Sylvia as well. You know, Sylvia was such a dominant presence out there. Tell me, I know Sylvia was a dominant presence on the defensive side. Tell me, what was her approach to the game? Well, I played with Sylvia when she was a freshman, and she came in uh, as a sponge. Like, she soaked up everything. She wanted to make sure that she did everything that was asked of her. She was going to go hard. She was going to have her teammates back. Um, And she's grown tremendously. I'm still watching the both of them play now. And um, just to see where she is now compared to where she was, and it's it's amazing to see the growth 
and not just in Sylvia, but also in Simone, and to see how well that they're still enjoying the game and how much better they're, they've gotten in uh, the way that they're playing with uh, each other as well as competing against the best that there is. Uh, it's been a tre- tremendous thing for me to watch. But Sylvia came in as a sponge, like I said, and soaked up everything and gave us everything that she had. And she just continued to grow more and more from that moment on. All right. So after a solid career at LSU, your next step was playing on a professional level. And uh, you ended up in the WNBA where you were drafted by the Washington Mystics in 2005. Kind of tell the listening audience out there about draft night, just the atmosphere and the anticipation, hearing your name called and your family and your friends, just being so proud of you and just, sacrificing and working hard after all those years it's an amazing feeling one that you can't really put into words uh you you're sitting there you're waiting you're nervous you're anxious um but you're excited all at once you know, you've worked extremely hard to be in the position that you're in uh and i thought honestly up until the moment that it was called that i was going to houston my agent and i had talked and we were going to um and Houston had been talking, and they needed a point guard, and they wanted me to come. And this is this. And uh, Coach Van Chancellor actually at the, was the coach at the time, and he changed his mind at the end. And uh, at number five, I wasn't going to Houston. I ended up going to Washington at number six. Um, but at that time, it's just it's a great thing to hear your name call and to know that you're getting ready to start a new journey, a new level of basketball, and a new uh, journey in life. But it's an amazing feeling, and your family's extremely proud of you. Your neighborhoods are proud of you. Universities proud of you. Your coaches and and everybody that had played a part in your life and helping you to to push you or giving you an encouraging word or anything of that sort along the way, they're all extremely happy because now you're representing more than just yourself or just your university. You're representing the whole city, a whole town, and all this kind of stuff on a big on one of the biggest stages that there is for or the biggest stage that there is for women's basketball. So uh, it was an amazing an amazing moment and uh nobody would have ever told me that in doing that or whatever I would have came out as rookie of the year I just went on and I played the game to the best of my ability and I thank God for the talent that he's given me and it it allowed me to uh win that award you had a fantastic rookie year you won rookie of the year and you ranked second in the WNBA in assist that year but at the beginning of the following year you were traded to the Los Angeles Sparks you played three seasons in L.A. This was your first run with Los Angeles. Tell me about the first run you had with L.A. It was phenomenal. I enjoyed playing for uh, Jelly Bean, Brian, Kobe's dad. But most importantly, I enjoyed playing with Lisa and those uh, those young ladies uh, and those older women who took me up, on, up underneath their wing and allowed me to be the point guard that I was and allow me to lead from the position and allow me to play the game the way that I needed to while also teaching me things and allowing me to learn things on my own. The respect was absolutely amazing. Uh, I enjoyed playing uh, for Jelly and growing. And then I played for Michael Cooper. Um, but I, at that moment, I just was enjoying my teammates and uh, enjoyed L.A. So after your first run in L.A., you wound up going to the Phoenix Mercury, where you won a WNBA championship. When I went to Phoenix, people don't know that I had considered um, not even playing basketball anymore. 2008 was a very tough year for me. I ended up losing my grandmother, who had raised me, and the thing just wasn't the same. Basketball wasn't the same. I wasn't enjoying it like I uh, once once did before. Actually, um, 
ended up my contract was up, so I was a free agent, and I I ended up signing with Phoenix, and it's a good thing that I didn't um, throw in the towel because that same year, starting point guard of the Phoenix Mercury, we won a a championship, which was uh, one of the most greatest things ever. Um, and I played with some phenomenal women in Diana Taurasi, Cappy Pondex, Tangela Smith, Nicole Willingham, Brooke Smith, Nicole Oldie. Like we we had uh, Kelly Mazzanti, we had Penny Taylor, we had amazing people and a good group of women that uh, grew to believe in each other and uh, we were able to come out on top against a very talented Indiana Fever that year. I tell you what those are some heavy hitters that you played with during your time in Phoenix. I want to talk about Diana Taurasi because her game is phenomenal. When I watch her play it's like her her intensity her intensity is through the roof. I, I followed her when she was at UConn. Tell me what was it like having her as a teammate uh, Diana's great. Uh, the one thing I, that you understand off the back is that Diana's a winner. Um, but more importantly, you learn when you're playing with her that she likes to have fun and she enjoys the game of basketball. And you're going to have fun while playing with her. She's a strong, fierce competitor. Um, and she, she, she accepts the challenges that's, that's being thrown at her and she loves it. But being her teammate was absolutely great. And, um, I enjoyed it, but more importantly, having fun. She she taught me how to um, still be competitive and have fun while doing it. And I'm forever grateful for that. Rightfully so. And also you played with some great talented people such as uh, Cappy Pond Dexter. Also, as you mentioned earlier, Penny Taylor and Candace Dupree. So after you won a title in Phoenix, you played a, a season with the Tulsa Shock. Any memories, anything you want to share with the listening audience about your time in Tulsa? Because uh, it was trying to rebuild. And I tell everybody my experience in Tulsa was great because I knew what it was to be at the top and I learned what it was to be at the bottom. So my, nobody could ever tell me that I didn't, that I don't understand it. So I just took Tulsa as a learning experience for me um, to be able to understand that the game, as much as we love it, it gives you some highs and it brings you some lows. But uh, it was pretty good. The people, the fans were amazing. They really wanted to get behind it and support it as much as they can, they could or whatever. So I don't really have anything negative at all to say about it. I just look at it. I think every season for me is a growing lesson and a growing experience. And I, I learned what it was to be on top as well as on the bottom in, in Tulsa. And I... Uh, I'm forever grateful for that as well. There's a learning lesson and experience and everything. All right. So you mentioned about the adjustment and the learning process during your time in Tulsa. You had to make another cultural shift going from Tulsa to the Pacific Northwest, and you played for the Seattle Storm. Uh, your memories of being in Seattle. I got a chance to learn the team and grow with them, and I actually got a chance to play with Tina Thompson for her last year, who was you know, just inducted into the Women's Hall of Fame. So I've been thankful for that. I was extremely grateful for that relationship, as well as Camille Little and Tanisha Wright and uh, those women that we were that we were that I had competed against night in and night out to be um, on the same team with them and to get to know them as individuals was probably the best time of my um, career as far as people and, and gelling with my teammates and stuff like that. Uh, I, I I really enjoyed my time in Seattle. Then the following year, I got to play with Sue and got to know her um, a little bit better as a person rather than competing against her my entire career. So it was it was good uh, playing with her as well as um, 
learning certain things and sharing certain things with her because by that time I wasn't like a young young play, uh, player, but you know the mutual respect was there and it was it was a joy. I want to bring back up Tina Thompson was one of the forebearers or one of the pioneers of the early WNBA movement when the WNBA first started. It was Lisa Leslie, Rebecca Lobo. Uh, Teresa Weatherspoon, Teresa Edwards, Cheryl Swoops, and then Tina Thompson and Cynthia Cooper. And Tina Thompson, I call it the first dynasty in the WNBA with the Houston Comets. I got to ask you, it seems like Tina look, looks like a lot of fun. What's? I'm sure her energy was just uh, infectious every time you were around her. Absolutely. Tina being the very first WNBA draft pick of uh, the first draft that they have was phenomenal you have watched them you know I had watched those ladies with USA basketball and saw how many things that they've done to pave the way you know watch Tina get drafted and stuff like that and watch the draft is like you know what we've we've waited so long and now there is this opportunity for women to compete to compete on a higher level uh, and not just have to go overseas and play and all this kind of stuff but Tina's energy is phenomenal um she's a fierce competitor yes she likes to enjoy the game. Yes, she likes to have fun. She's gonna have your back across the board. She's for you. She's for you. She's gonna ride with you. I love TT. Um, absolutely, an amazing person, an amazing mom, uh, an amazing daughter. Uh, but more importantly to me, she was an amazing friend and amazing teammate. So you're absolutely right. Her energy is uh, infectious, and it did carry over to each and every one of us. All right. So you leave the Pacific Northwest, and you have a second run in LA with the Sparks. Now this Sparks team. It's different this time. They have some quality, some all-star players on the team. You uh, join up with Candace Parker and also Neka Agwumake. I was with Candace her rookie year in 2008, and then I left and went to Phoenix. Um, but that, that season there was just really crazy and funky. Candace didn't come to the middle of the season. Neka was just getting into the point of, you know, being groomed to take over certain things. And she's a phenomenal athlete. And, you know, the following year, she was MVP of the entire league. So I had an opportunity to play with and among some some really talented young ladies. And it was really fun to get to know them and uh, watch them grow. And then you had a, a solid looking at your stats right here. You played, spent some time overseas. Tell me some of your uh, rewarding experience that you have playing overseas. Well, I came away with the Euro Cup championship and was able to get to uh, get some medals throughout my tenure um, playing in the uh, overseas. And it's actually more about the experience. You know, you know, I'm a young girl from a small little place. I'm not going to say a small city because Canada, New Orleans is not that small. But um, if you would have told me that basketball would have taken me around the world, I would have told you that you were kidding me. Um, to be able to learn a different style of play, to be able to go to Russia and play for five years, to go to France and Poland and uh, Croatia and Israel and Hungary and go to all those different places that I've been able to go. Um, nobody would have told me that basketball would have taken me there. Um, and I've just been able to enjoy the game, grow, learn different language, learn different uh, styles of play, um, understand different cultures and stuff like that. So uh, I've been really fortunate to be honest, um, in every area that I've been able to go and touch the ground, wherever my feet was planted up on, I've been really fortunate to not only just enjoy the game, but enjoy the culture and learn new people and meet new friends. Speaking of, while we're continuing to talk about your career for a second, before we went on the air, you were telling me a little bit about you were currently training and you were in the process, you were also in the process of rehabbing. 
you're currently a free agent right now. So tell our listening audience out there, what are you rehabbing for and how did the injury happen? I was currently um, playing in Spain and I tore my Achilles, which is a very painful injury. Um, But I'm well ahead and I'm walking and running. I'm actually running now. I did stadiums and stuff today. Uh, but I'm feeling pretty good. I, I am uh, not sure in which direction everything is going to go. But right now my focus is uh, just getting back to my normal self, if not better, to be able to continue the way I would like to. So the rehab is going really, really well. Um, I have a great team of people that's around me. And I am excited about the process and the progress of where I am. Are you on the contract right now in Spain or no, you're I'm not? not. You're not okay. So once so, you finish your contract, unless you sign dual years or whatever, once you finish your contract with a team overseas, you're free from that. So nobody has any bonding agreements to you or whatnot, and you're free to go wherever you please. So the contracts run year to year. Uh, it depends on how you sign it. Yes, pretty much so. Okay, so now that you so since you explained that to me, so you're not you're a free agent as of this time. If you would like to get back to the WNBA. Do you have a team or certain teams that you would like to play for, or it doesn't really matter? No, no, no. You don't think about it. No, it's not a team that you want to play for. You just want to be able to compete. Okay. Now, while we're looking at your career, you playing both in the WNBA and overseas. One thing that has really been a stronghold in women's sports is money. And is the money better overseas, or was the money better in the WNBA, or is it kind of about the same? No, the money is definitely better overseas, and that's why people go. And people don't realize, like, a lot of people like to say that the game is not like the men and this and this. And, yes, I understand that the men have an 82-game season, 82 game season. The WNBA is compacted into just the summer, and from there you go overseas. So it's pretty much, they say, like four months out of the summer and seven or eight months overseas. So you're really playing 11, 11 months of basketball year-round while traveling, while going play in other countries, while doing all the stuff. So, you know, we put our bodies through a lot of things to obtain uh, the goals that we want to accomplish as well as continue to compete and enjoy the game that we love so much. And the women's game is growing tremendously, and the, the, and the direction that it's going is, is phenomenal. And to see those young kids still have the, the drive and um, the talent that's coming into the WNBA and that's going to be abroad, it's, it's amazing to see. How long do you see yourself playing? You know what? It's This is one thing that people <laughs> are, are really skeptical to say, but for me, it's however long God says. Uh, he's the head of my life, and if he says time to move in another direction, then that's what's going to take place. I'm not taking my talent for granted. I uh, enjoy the game. I love it. I'm thankful. I'm so it's much smaller than most people would say or think, and I was able to do Uh, the job that I was able to do and do it well with the gift that he's given me. So I can't take that for granted at at all. I'm getting a little older now. So, you know, it's time. It may be time to go in a different direction. I don't know that right now, but whatever God says, I will move forward with it. All right. Let's talk about your nonprofit organization. Your organization is called the Hope Foundation. Explain to the audience out there what's the premise and what the Hope Foundation is all about. Well, the whole foundation stands for Heaven Opens People's Eyes. And for so many years of me playing, everybody has come up to me and, you know, expressed to me how much hope I gave them. And it didn't matter the, the type of people, the nationality, the race, the the height, the nothing, the skin color, anything. 
everybody would come and say, you know, you give us so much hope, and we know that watching you play the game the way that you play it gives us the hope to be able to do things um, ourselves. And that alone uh, kept the fire burning in me because I was just doing something that I love to do without realizing how many people I was impacting. Um, and with them telling me that, it allowed me to enjoy what I was doing even more so and to know that I was doing it with a sense of purpose um, because there's somebody watching every day. You never know who you're impacting. So that's how it really came about, uh, the the name, Hope, or whatever. And I didn't know what it was going to stand for, but, you know, my relationship with God, as I was talking to you about it, he actually gave me the name, and um, and it went from there. I was always somebody that gave back, and I never wanted to be in the limelight about it or anything. It was just something that I enjoyed doing. Now, people don't realize the game of basketball, like I said, it brings you, it gives you highs and it gives you lows. And when you're up, you're up. When you're down, you're down. But the one thing about helping somebody and giving them a helping hand and seeing the expression on their face and the smile and the, the gratification is um, is priceless. It can't be faked or anything. And um, it brings you so much more joy and fulfillment knowing that you can do that uh, for someone. So the Hope Foundation is basically to instill hope in those that you come in contact with. But there's an educational piece. Uh, I like to use my traveling experience to be able to let people know that you can do it. There's a motivational piece. There's a etiquette piece. There's family piece because that's important and, and, and all this kind of stuff. But the educational part is extremely important because my grandmother was a school teacher and instilled that in me. I, I like to tell kids all the time that if I couldn't play basketball again today or tomorrow, I did graduate and I do have a degree. And that's something that can't be taken away from you. So I try to express the importance of education and let them know that you may be able to play this sport or do this, but if you can't read and write, it's not worth anything. So I just try to use my um, experience to be able to share with them. Um, there's also a piece about that I'm actually I'm going to do in September with uh, hosting an event to honor Coach Gunner. Uh, her, her mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, so I'm going to try and I'm partnering with Alzheimer's to host an event to keep Coach Gunner legacy going on on September 7th and uh, of this year, 2018. Um, I'll have a um, Sugana Legacy dinner and honoring her and trying to do some things with feeding the homeless. And you can so many ways I tell people hope doesn't always come in a financial way. Sometimes people just need a hug. Sometimes people just need a listening ear. Sometimes people just need a smile. You just never know what people are going through. So I'm actually happy and excited about my foundation. I'm excited just hearing about all the wonderful things that you're doing. That's that's truly phenomenal. And I just um, want to touch briefly on what you talked about the importance of education because a lot of people in our communities especially in the inner cities you know they see basketball they see athletes or they see rappers that have a lot of the money and stuff like that and that's those careers are fine but they have to understand that sometimes that's they think it's the end all be all and it's really not and you got to have that education as you mentioned earlier the importance of learning how to read or write I mean, that's what i try to get everybody to understand a lot of people look at people now and see them on these big stages, but they don't know the process, other things that they've had to go through. Sometimes people forget to tend to forget about that. And not everybody make it. And yes, everybody have aspirations of becoming the next whomever, but they don't understand that there are certain people in other countries that have those same aspirations that's working 10 times harder, that's doing this and doing that. And again, everybody don't make it. And to have an education is something to fall back on and, um, be able to use your mind and not just beat your body up because after a while, iron wear out. 
And sometimes people think that, 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 that you know, their bodies don't get tired and it's just like, no, it's a lot of work. And and I understand that people have, you know, big dreams to make it to the WNBA. And I, I mean, WNBA, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, any sport that they um, aspire to be a part of. But having your education is so much more important. I tell everybody, I say, we're traveling overseas. Um, I said, if I didn't know how to read, you think I know how to make it to the airports? I said, I don't just, for me, basketball was not just a, a game. It was life. And I was able to utilize what I learned in the classroom and everyday life. Enjoyed my time uh, in school. But I will say this, I'll go all the way back to in Bon when I was at Bonneville and Kenner. I clowned around in school a little bit, and I came up 110th of a point short on my ACT. It didn't matter how many times I took it. And I ended up having to sit away from sit out. So basketball was taken away from me. And then perspective was put perspective had to be put in place. And from that moment on nobody ever had to tell me anything about my education. Because when I didn't do the things that I was supposed to do in certain people's eyes or I didn't live up to what they thought or whatever, all the naysayers was like the first thing they said, she'll never be doing it, she'll never she'll never do it, she'll never be good at it. She was never smart enough. I don't know why we believe in this and this. And that motivated me. In that moment I learned that I would never put myself in a situation to um have people to say that about me when I know that it's things that I can control and I could have done better. So my education is very important and I harp on that more than anything. Where can they find you on social media? On Instagram I am Quick Deuce, Q U I C K D E U C E. Um, Snapchat the same thing, Facebook, Tamika Johnson. Uh and that's pretty much all oh, Twitter is uh Tamika Johnson. No, it's Quick Deuce as well. And if you want to follow the foundation, it's Meek Hope too on Instagram and Meek Hope too on Twitter. You heard it from a Tamika Johnson. Basketball player, also humanitarian, also difference maker. She's making a difference in the community and she's done a lot and she's continuing to do big things. Tamika, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. We got to do this again. Thank you. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Available now on audiobook format, Flying High to Victory, a recap of the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles season. Follow the Eagles on their triumphant journey as you witness players such as Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, Torrey Smith, Jay Ajayi, Nelson Aguilar, and Zach Ertz. Pick up your copy of Flying High to Victory, available for digital download on audiobook at bandcamp.com, cdbaby.com, and nimbit.com. Available now on audiobook format, Flying High to Victory, a recap of the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles season. Follow the Eagles on their triumphant journey as you witness players such as Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, Torrey Smith, Jay Ajayi, Nelson Aguilar, and Zach Ertz. Pick up your copy of Flying High to Victory, available for digital download on audiobook at bandcamp.com, cdbaby.com, and nimbit.com.
don't forget to follow the Sports Talk with Friends Facebook page and tune into the Sports Chatter Show every Friday at 7 p.m. on blogtalkradio.com. Fridays at 7 p.m. on the Sports Chatter Show on Blog Talk Radio. That's going to do it for this week's show. I'm yours truly, Ed Robinson. And remember, put God first in everything you do, and you can't go wrong. Until next time, stick to the script. We're out. Peace. Available now on audiobook format, Flying High to Victory, a recap of the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles season. Follow the Eagles on their triumphant journey as you witness players such as Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, Torrey Smith, Jay Ajayi, Nelson Aguilar, and Zach Ertz. Pick up your copy of Flying High to Victory, available for digital download on audiobook at bandcamp.com, cdbaby.com, and nimbit.com. Available now on audiobook format, Flying High to Victory, a recap of the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles season. Follow the Eagles on their triumphant journey as you witness players such as Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, Torrey Smith, Jay Ajayi, Nelson Aguilar, and Zach Ertz. Pick up your copy of Flying High to Victory, available for digital download on audiobook at bandcamp.com, cdbaby.com, and nimbit.com.